Hello, and welcome to episode 16 of Paint by Murders. I'm your host, narrator, and author M. Travis DiNicola. Paint by Murders is an original mystery novel. It's the first in a series of Harrisburg homicide mysteries. In the last episode, Keith made a discovery of a long-held secret in the catalog of the Moonshine exhibit. Patience reluctantly confirmed his hunch and the complicated story behind the deception. When Keith surprised Patience by telling her that Alicia was murdered, Patience kicked him out of the gallery. Later, while taking a narcolepsy-induced nap, a brick is thrown through the window of Keith's home. Before he's woken up, though, in a dream, Keith remembers a detail from the day of Jane's murder and now knows who the killer is. Each episode of this podcast features subsequent installments from the novel. If you've been enjoying them, please leave a review and share this with your friends. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the story. Chapter 53. Keith jumped up from his chair when he heard the crash. The terrified cats both ran down into the basement as quickly as their little legs would take them. The entire front window was gone, now just shattered pieces on the floor. He ran to the front door, glad he had left his shoes on as he heard glass crunching underfoot, and undid the bolt on the front door. By the time he had the door open and was able to look up and down the street, whoever had done it was gone. It didn't matter. Keith had a pretty good idea who it was now. He closed the door and looked at the brick on the floor in their front room, surrounded by shattered glass. It had the word die scribbled on it in a childish hand with a black marker. He needed to make sure the cats were okay first and went down in the basement looking for them. Keith found Ed and Hop curled up together wide-eyed on a cardboard box they had appropriated for a safe perch in the basement. He checked their paws, which they were surprisingly willing to let him do, and determined that they hadn't walked on the glass and were uninjured, just freaked out like him. But he was thinking clearly. Keith locked the flapping cat door to the basement so that the cats wouldn't be able to come upstairs and risk cutting their paws or going out the open window. He knew the cats would be mad at him, but it was for their own good, and they'd be fine for a while. They had food, water, and a litter box down there. Then he called 911 and told the dispatcher that someone had thrown a brick through his window. She asked if he was injured or being currently threatened. When he said that he wasn't, she asked him what the emergency was then. He said that he supposed there wasn't one now, but that a crime had been committed. She didn't sound impressed, but she wrote down his name and address and said she would send an officer out to take a statement and then hung up. He thought about calling Ginger, knew that he probably should, but decided to hold off until after the police came. As he waited for the police, he looked up a phone number for emergency window repairs, found a local company, and called them. The dispatcher asked a couple questions about the estimated size of the window and what type of glass had been in it. It wouldn't be a problem, she said. They did have 24-hour services, which was great, and they were crazy expensive, which was not great, but his homeowner's insurance should cover it, which was back to great. They wouldn't be able to work on the window until the police gave the all-clear. He told her he would call them back. He had planned to vacuum up the glass and put cardboard over the open window next, but then he decided to hold off on all that until the police came. With the front window wide open, he really couldn't go anywhere or do anything, so he sat back down on his recliner and waited for the police to come. And he waited some more. More than an hour after he called 911, there was a knock on the door. Leaving the chain on, he opened it partway to see a female uniformed police officer. She introduced herself as Officer Carter and asked if he was Mr. Reed. He said he was and let her in. I guess I didn't need to knock on the door. I could have just come through your window, Officer Carter said with a laugh. Well, this is quite the mess. She was standing in their entry room, looking at all the glass on the floor. Keith agreed it was. Did you see who did this? 
No, I was taking a nap when it happened. Whoa, I bet that woke you up, huh? Her thumbs were hooked on her belt, and she leaned back with a hearty laugh. Keith was not feeling encouraged. Yes, yes it did. Okay then, let me take a few pictures of this, and I'll be on my way. Don't you want to know what I think happened? It was clear that she didn't. Oh, it was probably just some kids committing mischief. It happens all the time. Keith was incredulous. Bricks get thrown windows all the time around here? Well, she seemed to be thinking about that for a moment. No, they don't usually break house windows like this, but car windows get broken all the time, and it's always kids. She pointed to the brick, and it looks like some kid wrote that on the brick. I wouldn't worry about it. Then Officer Carter pulled out her cell phone and snapped a few pictures of the brick. Okay, good to go. I'll let you know if we find anything, she said as she put the phone back in her jacket pocket. If Keith was expecting a full forensics team with high-tech equipment, this sure wasn't it. Aren't you going to take any fingerprints? Carter looked genuinely confused. Of what? Whoever did this only touched the brick, not the window, and bricks don't hold fingerprints. Keith couldn't argue with that. She pulled out a plastic evidence bag from one of her many pockets. I will take the brick, though. You never know what we might be able to connect it to. She gave him a patronizing smile as she kneeled to pick it up in her bag. Once it was secured, she stood up, pulled out a business card with her name and number on it, and told Keith to call her if anything else happened. Then she added a, really? He doubted her sincerity. Three minutes after Officer Carter knocked on the door, she was going back out it. And Keith was angry. Yes, of course, he was angry about the window, but he was even more angry about feeling dismissed by the police. He could have told Officer Carter, who he thought threw the brick, oh, and was also a murderer, but she clearly wasn't interested. He called the emergency window repair people back to tell them to come over. He was stewing about the police as he cleaned up the glass from the floor. Keith thought about calling Detective Henry about all this, but convinced himself that it'd be in vain and just frustrate him even more. Ten minutes later, there was another knock on the door. The two window repair guys. They were polite and efficient, never even asking about how it happened. Their job was just to fix windows. The why wasn't of interest to them, but at least they could do something about it, unlike the police, Keith thought. The one guy, Chad, who was slightly older, recorded Keith's insurance information while the younger guy, Keith didn't get his name, cleaned glass out of the rest of the window pane and took some measurements. In less than 45 minutes, Keith had the new window in place. Impressive. The young guy was packing up their van, and Keith was standing out on the front step, signing some papers for Chad, when he saw Ginger coming down the sidewalk, trying to figure out what was going on. She looked at the van, with its broken glass logo painted on the side, looked at what was clearly a new front window, and said to her husband, I can't wait to hear all about your day. Chapter 54 After the window guys left, Keith and Ginger went inside. Keith unlocked the cat door, and Ed and Hop came flying out of the basement as if they had been imprisoned for years in a dungeon. They both ran to the front room for some quick surveillance, and then Ed chased Hop up the stairs. Downstairs, Keith and Ginger could hear them wrestling once he caught her. Ginger smiled at the happy sounds. It sounds like they're okay. How are you doing? Keith thought for a moment about everything that had happened since Ginger had left for work. It had been a really long day, and he was still sorting it all out. He'd found out that Alan Moonshine was Jane's son. He confronted Patience about Alicia's mysterious death. He had a dream where he solved Jane's murder, and likely Alicia's, and someone, most likely the murderer, threw a brick through their front window. To scare him? Was it to warn him off from playing detective? It didn't matter. The police didn't seem to care about any of it, but he did, if anything. It confirmed he was on the right path and he was not going to stop. I'm okay. 
But there is a lot that I need to talk to you about, and I'm hungry, and I need a drink. How does cork sound? It sounds great. Give me just a minute to freshen up, okay? Walking to the restaurant, they took the river path, and Keith began to tell his wife about his day. He tried to remember every detail of his confrontation with patients, but it now seemed long ago. By the time they reached the restaurant, were seated, had ordered their food, and had been served their wine, he got to the part about Arthur Goodwin becoming Alan Moonshine. Ginger didn't seem surprised by the revelation. It does explain a lot, she said as she sipped her Chardonnay. Moonshine really does sound like a horrible human being. Even using his dad's precious scrimshaws for Fang was probably just to piss him off. I feel even worse for Jane now, knowing she had to live with that all these years. No wonder she didn't want anyone to know who her son was. Keith agreed as he sipped his Pinot Noir and their food started to arrive. Keith got the pear salad with spinach, walnuts, raisins, and a jalapeno dressing again. It was his new favorite salad. Ginger had ordered the arugula, roasted beet salad with pistachios, fennel, and a goat cheese dressing. Then, Keith told Ginger about Patience's reaction to Alicia's death. Wow, Patience certainly has something to hide, she said as she finished off her salad. What do you think she did after you left the gallery? Their fungi pizza with cremini, shiitake, and oyster mushrooms with caramelized onions and mozzarella arrived. Well, I was just getting to that, but first let me tell you what I dreamed today. And Keith told Ginger about what he remembered from the day of Jane's murder. This did surprise her and excited her too. It all makes sense, exclaimed his wife before taking a big bite out of a slice. She chewed and swallowed and then asked, so what are you going to do? Don't you want to know about the window? Keith asked. Oh my god, I almost forgot about that. Damn, you did have a day. Sorry. Do you think it was them? I do. I think patients got freaked out about Alicia's death, figured that they'd caused it, and called them as soon as I left the gallery. And then they felt trapped, came to our house, and threw the brick through our window. But to what end? I don't know, to scare me? To stop me from asking questions? I don't think they really thought through that part. Clearly, they don't make good decisions. Just emotional responses. Dangerous emotional responses, his wife corrected. So what are you going to do? I don't know. I still don't have any evidence, and clearly the police don't care. Keith was staring into the glass of wine he was holding, swirling the red liquid around as if it would reveal the answer. But you remembered. Forget about the broken window. You need to tell what you remembered to Detective Henry. He'll have to pay attention to that. I remembered it in a dream. I'm not sure that counts. Keith. They have got to make an arrest and get them off the street. Are we even safe in our home tonight? Ginger had lowered her voice so that people at the tables near them wouldn't hear. He hadn't thought about that. Would they make another attack on them so soon? His wife was right. Something had to be done. He finished off the glass as the waiter approached. The waiter raised his eyes and made a motion as if to say, Do you want another glass? Keith nodded that he did. Waiter brought them each another glass of wine. Somehow Keith had missed that Ginger had ordered one as well. It's still a real memory, said his wife. You didn't make that part up. You just hadn't thought about it until you dreamed it. He lowered his voice, too. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's real, that it really happened. But, but what if I'm wrong? Pretty sure it doesn't seem like enough to go to the police with. The dream forced him to remember what he had seen earlier that day at the bookstore. Keith had been so focused on what happened once he was in the basement that he had convinced himself that it was the whole story. He kept telling that part of it over and over so many times to the police, the reporters, and everyone else that he had almost forgotten what happened before. He had been in the bookstore for almost a half hour before he went to the basement, and that's how he knew. Keith knew what he remembered was true. It wasn't a dream. 
He knew who the idiot was, so why did he doubt himself so much? For someone who should be happy, Ginger said, you look miserable. You are so far in your head in this. Get out! It wasn't a shout. It was more of a whisper, but it still had enough force to draw the attention of a couple sitting nearby. Keith's wife knew him well, though, and she was right. He was stuck in his own head. She gave the couple next to them a reassuring look and turned her attention back to Keith. I still think you should tell the police. Or tell Charles? It sounds like he would know what to do. Keith was still distracted. There's got to be some way to prove it. Or get a confession? Are you absolutely sure that Charles isn't involved in any way, she asked. Yes. And that's not just because he reminds you of Uncle Dan. No, it's more than that. He's not setting you up. He's not in cahoots with patients. Cahoots? Yes, cahoots. You're certain Charles isn't the murderer and that he isn't involved. Keith said, yes, while well, he thought, I hope. Then call Charles, said his wife. It was an order, softly spoken, but an order nonetheless. He heard her and he agreed. He said he would call Charles in the morning. Then we are sleeping in a hotel night. Let's finish up here, go home and get some clothes and the cats and play it safe. I hear that the Harris Hotel has some beautiful rooms with jacuzzis. You know, we have a jacuzzi. Yes, but it's a small one. I have to bend my knees. The hotel has large jacuzzis I can stretch out in. I'm not sure we can take the cats with us into the hotel. She gave him a look that made it clear to him that he would find a way. Right, Keith said. It's just one night. That sounds great. It turned out to be easier than he thought to smuggle the felines into their room. Ginger just waited in the car with them in a small carrier while Keith checked in and got the room keys. Then, with her long winter coat covering the carrier, they quickly walked up the enclosed ramp from the parking garage to the second floor of the hotel, skipping the lobby and the bellhops. With a disposable litter pan they picked up from the convenience store on the way, they were good to go, so to speak, and they were safe for the night. Ginger enjoyed stretching out in the jacuzzi while Keith played with the cats and enjoyed the view of downtown at night. They went to bed early. When Keith awoke, he couldn't remember if he had dreamed. He did feel refreshed, though, for the first time in many days. Chapter 55 The next morning, as much as Keith wanted to order room service, there was nothing he enjoyed for breakfast more than Eggs Benedict in a hotel room brought to you by room service. They didn't want to risk getting caught with the cats. Instead, they did the remote checkout, and just as they smuggled them in, returned the cats successfully back to the car. Leaving the parking garage, they had to laugh when they saw the sign indicating that the hotel was pet-friendly. Keith dropped Ginger off at the flower shop and then went home to find that the new window was still in place and the rest of the house untouched. Though they enjoyed the field trip, the cats were happy to be back home and using their usual litter boxes. Not wanting to be rude by calling too early, Keith waited until 10 to phone Charles. He picked up on the first ring. Keith's name must have come up on the caller ID because Charles didn't even say hello. Instead, he opened with, Did you solve it yet? He sounded excited. Keith smiled. Beckett was a lot more jovial now than when they first met. Of course, Keith's first impression of him was at Jane's celebration. Though still proper, Beckett had since shown he knew how to have fun. Even when investigating a murder, it inspired Keith. Charles, I believe that I did. Excellent! That didn't take long at all. Would you like to hear my theory? Of course! But not over the phone. I want to hear this in person. I'm at the gym right now. Let's say we meet for lunch at 11.30. 
Keith didn't want to make it a multi-beer lunch again. He said meeting up sounded good and suggested Arturo's, where they didn't serve alcohol. Charles readily agreed, said he would see Keith soon, and hung up. At the gym? Keith was impressed. The man was probably in his 80s. Was he staying in shape for patients or just for himself? Either way, it reminded Keith that he really needed to exercise more. He had worked out a few days a week in Michigan, but hadn't made it a part of his routine since they moved to Harrisburg. Ginger hadn't pushed him about it. She hadn't even said anything directly, but he could tell she worried about him not getting enough exercise. He would find out what Jim Charles went to. Maybe they could work out together after this whole thing was over. Charles was already at a table, and Keith arrived at Arturo's at 11.30. Even coming straight from the gym, he looked fresh in his dark gray suit, crisp white shirt, and burgundy tie. Again, Keith felt sloppy in his usual jeans, t-shirt, and zip-up sweater. They both ordered the three-cheese tortellini, served with the chicken cordon bleu on top of it. Vito served their dishes almost immediately. His grandmother must have been working hard in the kitchen, getting ready for the lunch rush. The breaded chicken was absolutely perfect. Crispy on the outside and tender inside, stuffed with ham and cheese. If Keith kept eating like this, he really would have to start going to the gym. He noticed that Charles didn't mention anything about Keith's visit with Patience the day before and wondered if she had told Charles about it. If Keith was wrong and somehow Charles was involved with all this too, no, he had to trust Charles. Of this he was certain. Charles, I know about Alan Moonshine's relationship to Jane and Lewis. Yes, Patience told me about your visit, but that isn't why we're here. Alan Moonshine didn't kill Jane. He forked to Torlini. So, who did? Without telling Charles that it was in a narcoleptic's dream, Keith told him what, and more importantly who, he remembered seeing before going down to the basement of the bookstore that day. Charles listened carefully, and then the two men worked through the rest of Keith's original plot, which began with the forging of the moonshine bricks, but with the new player. And then he told Charles about the brick that came through his window soon after talking with Patience. It all fits, said Charles, as he mopped up sauce from his plate with the fresh bread. I actually have suspected them all along. It was just my intuition. I have nothing specific to go on other than that I don't trust them. If what you're saying is true, most likely they were gathering those bricks for Patience. There's no way they'd be able to move fake moonshine bricks on their own. Keith knew where Charles was going with this. It couldn't be easy for the man to admit what his girlfriend had done. He decided to say it so that Charles didn't have to. Which means that Patience knew all along who killed Jane and Alicia and said nothing. She may have an alibi, but she is just as guilty. Yes, I'm afraid that's true. We would never be able to pin this on Patience otherwise. Trust me, she is too smart for that. But if we could get the murderer to give up patience as an accomplice... Charles took a minute to finish eating while thinking through his plan. A satisfied look came over his face. Yes, that shouldn't be too difficult, and I think I know how we can do it. Tell me, is that pile of red bricks you saw near the bookstore still there? What did he want the bricks for? I believe so, said Keith. Good. Let's hope so. We only need a few of them, maybe four or five at the most. If you can get those for us, bring them to the river room at 4.30 today. I'll talk to Michael ahead of time to make sure he knows what we're planning. Charles looked delighted at the thought. Um, what exactly are we planning? My apologies. That would be helpful for you to know. And as the two men finished their lunch in the Italian bakery, Charles outlined his plan, or scheme, Keith thought. But... He also thought it could work. 
Chapter 56 Keith stopped by China Cat Sunflowers after lunch to tell Ginger what he and Charles were up to. I need a few minutes, Ginger said to Stephen. Her boss just waved his hand at them as if to brush them out the door. They stood outside on the sidewalk as Keith told her the plan. She listened patiently and then said, I'm going to be there too. Keith hadn't thought about Ginger being there as well. He didn't want to put her in any danger. Oh, come on. I'm not going to be the one in danger at all. What if they have a gun? Keith said. He had not thought of that before, but supposed it was a possibility. I seriously doubt that they even own a gun, much less would use on anyone. No, you boys do not get to have all the fun with this one. I'm going to be there, if nothing else, to keep you safe. Remember, I'm the one who takes the self-defense classes, not you. She kissed him. Now go get your bricks and take a nap. You need to be sharp and fresh for this to work. And if I'm going to leave early to be there at 4.30, then I need to get back to work now. Ginger turned and went back into the store. Keith easily found the pile of red bricks in the alley less than a block from the bookstore. There were still a dozen or so of them, all with the original B. Bros. manufacturer's markings on them from when they were fired over a hundred years ago. To most people, they weren't worth anything. They were just old bricks. But as moonshine forgeries, they could be worth millions. Nobody noticed, or cared, as Keith filled his canvas knapsack with a half dozen. They were heavier than he expected, another reminder that he needed more exercise. At home, he set the alarm on his phone for 45 minutes. As he put the sleep mask on, Ed joined him in the recliner. At first, he had a hard time falling asleep as his mind worked through Charles's plan. But when the alarm went off, Keith realized he had been asleep and woke up ready to get on with the plan. The alarm did nothing to startle the cat. Ed was still half asleep when Keith started to move and was reluctant to get off him. It could have been easy for Keith to give in and go back to sleep, seduced by the purrs, but not today. Sorry, kitty, said Keith as he slowly started to get up, the signal that Ed needed to release him. Daddy needs to go catch killer. Finally taking the hint, the cat jumped off him onto the floor. Keith cleaned himself up, grabbed his knapsack with the bricks, along with a few black sharpies, and headed over to the river room. Charles was already there, talking with Michael when Keith arrived. Charles brought me up to speed on tonight's charade, the bartender spoke with enthusiasm. I'm in. Here are the bricks, said Keith as he removed the knapsack from his back. Where do you want them? Let's lay them out on the bar, said Charles, if that's okay with you, Michael. Michael nodded. Wherever you like them's fine with me. Keith and Charles lined up the six bricks end to end in a neat long row on the bar. Very good. And Keith, you have the markers too? Right here. Keith pulled the black sharpies from the bottom of his bag and set them in a pile next to the bricks. Just then the door opened, startling the three men. Easy, boys, it's just me, said Ginger. Are you all ready to catch a killer? Greetings were exchanged all round. Michael poured Ginger a glass of Pinot Grigio, while both Charles and Keith got bourbon on the rocks. Michael poured himself one, too, and then led them in a toast. Justice for Jane. They were all chatty and smiling, but Keith could tell everyone was nervous, even Charles. Keith wondered how the man's acting skills would hold up. After the first drinks were finished and Michael was pouring refills, Ginger asked, So where are they? Charles looked at his watch. We'll be here soon. I told them to meet me here at five. It's only five after. They always run a bit late. The door opened again. You've been listening to episode 16 of Paint by Murders. Thanks to Pixabay.com for the music. Come back soon for the next episode. 
If you'd like more information about the project or have comments you'd like to share, please do so on the social media pages where you found this or email me at paintbymurders at gmail.com. I'm your host, narrator, and author M. Travis DiNicola. Thanks for listening. 